Go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, it will also be good to see you this evening at 5. We have planned this evening a uh, monthly Q&A night. And we've got a couple of good questions. Uh, one question is about, uh, it's about the Bible, <clears throat> if that's uh, specific enough. And we've got another question about, about rainbows, about rainbows, significance of rainbows. So come back this evening and we'll talk about both of those things. And I think you'll enjoy it. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Acts 20 and verse 7, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Here's an example of New Testament Christians doing what we are busy doing today, worshiping God. Hopefully we understand the importance of such occasions. The fact that you're here indicates you understand something about that. We know Paul saw this as quite important because we're told he is shaping his travel plans around worship. He's waiting until after this first day so we can go on to the next place. And most brethren I know take, take worship seriously and, and make real effort to improve their worship. You know, there are uh, singing schools where we can go and improve our singing. We have singing night where we try to learn new songs and, and give men a crack at honing their song leading skills. You know, a brother will stand up before us before the Lord's Supper and remind us of the dignity of the occasion. Not just willy-nilly, you know, hand out the stuff, drink it, think about stuff. But we insist that someone stand before us and direct our minds that we can do that as well as we possibly can. Before we give, we're often reminded how the Lord loves a cheerful giver and how we should be thankful. And we express that thankfulness for giving back to God. Of course, when it comes to preaching, I've had a handful of mentors who have helped Mold me into a better uh, preacher and teacher. That's a solemn responsibility all who preach and teach should take seriously. I've been a part of men's training classes where men are instructed on various acts of public worship, how to lead prayer and things like that. In all these ways, we're interested in improving our worship to God. But when we get to the part of our worship service where literally the most time is spent, the sermon... My question is, do we assume during this period that no effort is needed, that we've, we're done expending our efforts? No more intentionality, no more improvement needed. In his book, How to Speak and How to Listen, Mortimer Adler says the following. He says, how amazing is the general assumption that the ability to listen well is a natural gift for which no training is required. In the same book, he explains how we go to great lengths to train people in writing and reading, But we take for granted that we can do their counterparts well without training, speaking and listening. And he argues we need just as much training to listen well as we do do to read well. You know, listening seems like just a totally passive activity. Um, But, you know, just as it takes intentionality and concentrating to read, it takes intentionality and concentration to listen. In our time together, about half our time, roughly, will be spent listening to preaching. And so my question is, shouldn't we give some attention on how to listen to a sermon? On the surface, it seems like the most passive thing we do. Not, not me, it's not passive for me, but to you it seems very passive. What I want, I want to show you this morning, while, while you might not be engaging your vocal cords right now, while you might not be handling something, doing something with your hands, good listening is never 
a passive activity. I want to talk about how to listen to a sermon. I want to give you four reminders, four reminders how to do that. Number one, listen with an open Bible. This is Acts 17, Acts 17 and verse 1. This is a record of preaching and good reception to preaching. Acts 17 and verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. We noticed last week in this passage um, that Paul would always go to the synagogue first, which is a perfect audience for Paul to go preach the gospel to. And so he goes and he reasons with them from the scriptures. It is interesting to me that nowhere on these preaching trips does Paul stand up and just sort of list his credentials and say, you should listen to me just because of that. He doesn't go in and say, I'm an apostle, listen to me or else. What he does is he opens the scriptures, And he proves to them from those scriptures, Jesus is the Christ. He opens up his Bible to show his audience Jesus. This is verse 10 of the same chapter, Acts 17 and verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The most important thing you can ever do listening to a sermon is to do so with an open Bible. The Bereans didn't just say, well, Paul and Silas seem like good guys. They seem to know the truth. They won't lead us astray. We'll take their word for it. They heard the preaching, they opened their Bible, and they saw for themselves that these things were so. I think that's not just a good thing to do. That is our responsibility as hearers of the gospel. To dare not take any man's word for it, not even mine, Not even Leon's. Not just take our word for it. To hear and see from God with our own eyes. When the preacher opens his Bible, supposedly to show you God's will, we better open our Bibles and make sure that is what he is doing. The Bereans are a great example of that. John instructed his hearers to do this very thing. He said this in 1 John 4 and verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test every spirit. Let me ask you, how do you tend to evaluate preaching? We all have our criteria, valid criteria. Uh, you know, some of us will, uh, will tend to evaluate based on the style. The style. Was it the type of sermon? Was it the type of presentation that I find enjoyable? Delivery. It, was it a good display of public speaking? Were there any huge gaffes? Are there any weird ticks that the speaker has? I had a guy uh, in my first year or two of preaching would always come out and uh, hold up on his fingers how many times I said, um. um I guess it helped. Some of us uh, tend, to, tend to evaluate preaching based on its novelty. Uh, that is, did the preacher say something that was new to me that piqued my interest? Or sometimes we prefer the opposite, a lack of novelty. Uh, did he say the, the uh, old, old type of sermons I always like to hear and I didn't ever want to hear anything I never heard before? A lot of people like illustrations. Was there, were there good stories throughout it? Again, all of that has a place in evaluating preaching. But I have to ask, if it's not preached with truth, does a single one of those things matter? 
at the core of our evaluation of preaching should be, was the truth preached? And in order to evaluate that accurately, we need the source of all life and truth opened up in front of us. There should always, always, I think, be a sense of preparation and intentionality when we come, when we come and open our Bibles together. I think we understand this. Um, were we to go to a chemistry class, we'd be well served to bring our chemistry book, to open it where the teacher read from. If we were studying the great Gatsby in English, we'd open our book to the page the teacher is reading from. Well, how much more important is learning from this book than chemistry or the great Gatsby? This is not a, a passive activity. The Bereans show us that, examining these things. And, and I've got to tell you, I've, I've been on both sides of this. I, I have experienced being a, a bad student and being a good student. I've been both of those things at various points in my life. When I would come to class engaged, book in hand, you know, paper and pen ready to take notes, prepared myself to listen, um, when I do that, I would, go, go figure, I would learn, and I would grow in the subject, and I would get better. And I, and I went to plenty of classes where I did not bring my book, and I did not come with any diligence or interest, and I did not do a whole lot of learning in those, in those sessions. Look, look with me in Acts 18 and verse 24. Let's look at just one more example here of a preacher and an audience. <clears throat> Acts 18 and verse 24. And this is one of those stories in which the audience has something to teach the preacher. Acts 18 and verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those through grace who had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So here is this eloquent man from Alexandria, mighty in the scriptures, and yet we're told acquainted only with the baptism of John the Baptist, not the baptism described in Acts 2 and verse 38. Well, two listeners of a sermon, Priscilla and Aquila, recognize this deficiency. And they take Apollos aside and they teach him more accurately. And we are told that from that experience, Apollos went forth and became all the more powerful, knowing more fully the message of God. That's a great story. But could this have ever happened if Priscilla and Aquila left their Bibles at home that day and listened passively with their arms crossed, paying sort of attention? Try to imagine how many great stories in Acts would have turned out if the listeners to preaching didn't have their Bibles open, weren't engaged, whether it's the Bereans, whether it's Priscilla and Aquila, whether that's the Ethiopian eunuch with his Bible open to Isaiah, whether that's Cornelius. And so the first key to good listening in the Bible is to come with that, with the Bible. That is, I think, our responsibility. When we have our Bibles open in front of us, it's a way of demonstrating we're not just here to observe the preaching show. We're not just here to sit back and, and evaluate and say, well, it's all right, I give it, you know, six out of ten this week. We're not here to do that. We're here to learn what God has to say. That's what we, we demonstrate when we open our Bibles. Number two, listen with an attentive mind. Let me ask you, do you expect preparation from the preacher? Uh, would you be satisfied if, if, uh, if myself or Leon got up and said, you know, I just didn't have it together this week, um, 
busy, had stuff going on. I played golf about four times this week. Got home from the golf course, a little bit tired. I went home, took a nap. And, uh, you know, that was pretty much the day. And then I, I got up here and I said, you know, I just don't have it together. I'll read a few verses and then stand and sing. That won't cut it, will it? Do that enough times, that preacher should be fired. It's my responsibility to be prepared, to preach the truth, and to preach it as well as I possibly can. We expect things from the speaker. We should. Is it reasonable to expect things from the listener? What, what good, let me ask, what good would even the most well-prepared sermon do were it to fall on inattentive minds, inattentive ears? For good communication to happen, there must be a good transmitter and also a good receiver. What good is a radio transmitter if no one owns a radio? Jesus himself could come preach for us, but if we were not attentive to him, what would be accomplished? Look with me again in Acts 17. We noticed just one thing about the Bereans earlier, how they opened their Bibles, but there are also several words that indicate how they opened, the, uh, the spirit with which they did that. Acts 17 and verse 11 These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Two words to point out. The first word is examining. Examining. I am told that is a legal term where a judge evaluates all the evidence to try to get to the bottom of of a case, to get to the truth. Examine. The Bereans brought their brains to church in addition to their Bible. Their mindset was one of investigation, examination. They're ready to expend effort in listening. And and, and also, by the way, the examination didn't just happen while the preacher spoke. The examination continued on a daily basis afterward. And then another word to point your attention to in verse 11 is that word eagerness. Eagerness. I imagine them sitting on the edge of their seats. A willingness, a readiness to receive the word. Anxious to hear what God has to say. I want you to turn with me now to the book of Nehemiah. Go back to the Old Testament to the book of Nehemiah in in chapter 8. Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah 8 describes a great uh, worship service. But I want you to notice the kind of participation, the kind of attentiveness that is being asked of the participants there as the word of God is read and preached. This is Nehemiah 8 and verse 1. Nehemiah 8 and verse 1. In Nehemiah 8 and verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that, Israel, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. This is verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is verse 8. They read from the book, from the, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the meaning so that the people understood the reading. Can, can you imagine such a respect 
such an eagerness for God's word. I'm impressed with when the fact that by the fact that when, when, the, when the word was simply opened and, and, and started to be read, it says all the people stood up. They understood that they were standing before the lawgiver and they showed respect to its reading. And as Ezra read, from early morning through midday, it says the people were attentive. All of Israel, all men and women, anyone who could understand. You know, historians note that, that when ancient, ancient peoples lacked in literacy, not, not everyone could read in the ancient world, even most people couldn't read. But, but that didn't mean they were dumb. What, what, what they lacked in literacy, they made up for, made up for with attentiveness and memory. This day in Israel was dedicated to nothing but an attentive hearing of God's word as it was read and explained by the priests. Can we achieve the attentiveness of Israel for a few hours each week? The attentiveness they achieve for a whole day. We're to listen with an attentive mind, God is telling us. Number three, listen with a receptive heart. Go back with me to Acts. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We, of course, hear preaching through our ears, but there's actually another body part that's targeted by real preaching, and that is the heart. Preaching targets the heart. That's where the gospel is aimed. And we must make certain that we listen with a receptive heart. In in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching Jesus to these people. His miracles, his life, the Old Testament prophecies about him, David's words about him, resurrection. And I want you to notice this, Acts 2 and verse 37. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Peter, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? First notice in verse 37, it says they heard this. They were listening attentively, but they didn't just hear it and say, well, that's good to know. Solid delivery, Peter, one of your better sermons. That's not what they say. Their hearts were pierced causing them to ask this all-important question, what shall we do? Their listening led them to contemplate their own lives and how they should change, and they understood there was something they needed to do. Jesus told a parable about this very thing, about good listening and bad listening. He told them to prepare the apostles for the kinds of people they would encounter, and so he told them, you're going to encounter people with hard hearts who reject what you have to say outright. And then you're going to encounter people with shallow hearts who would receive your message with joy initially, but then would fizzle out when it got hard. And you're going to encounter people with crowded hearts where your message is going to be crowded out by all the competing worldly interests. But then there's going to be receptive hearts who are going to receive what you say with joy and bear fruit. That's what we're seeing taking place in Acts 2. People here with receptive hearts. And the question Jesus wants us to ask is, what kind of listeners will we be? I want you to go with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James tells us a fundamental aspect of good listening. In James chapter 1. James 1 and verse 19. James 1 and verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 
What does James say is crucial to receiving the word? A few things. Verse 21, he says it is crucial that we receive it in meekness, with humility. That's a recognition that God's word has something to say to me. I don't listen to apply it to everyone else. I listen to apply it to myself. I don't blindly assume that my life is just fine and God's word doesn't have much to tell me. Good listening always comes from a soft, humble heart. And when there's something that steps on my toes, this is when it is especially crucial to listen meekly, humbly, and receptively. Because that is usually where the rubber meets the road, when we get a little uncomfortable, where the mirror of God's word actually shows me as I am, blemishes and all, so I can take note and fix them. I think it says a lot about a person. Sometimes people come up and say it to me afterward, but it's enough that you think it. You don't have to tell me. It says a lot about a person when they can say to themselves, I really needed to hear that sermon. That stepped on my toes and that told me what I needed to hear and that helped me. You know, I'll take one of those over a thousand good jobs. When we can say, I needed that, it shows I think we have listened with a receptive heart. And we need to remember the gospel is really not meant to just warm our hearts. It's meant to pierce our hearts. That's what happens in Acts 2 and verse 37. Piercing is an uncomfortable process, but it's one that does us good. And then more more than just making your preacher feel like he's doing okay, I think receptive hearts show we're open to God. We've humbled ourselves before him so that when he tells us we are not right and we must change, instead of getting angry about it, instead of putting up our defenses about it, which is what James says often happens in verse 20, when the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, we will, in verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word. And so let's do our best. Yes, show up. Yes, open our Bibles. Yes, pay attention. But prepare our hearts to receive God's word in the best way possible, coming with the intention of changing our lives, not being told what we, wanted to, what we want to hear. Which brings us to number four. Fourth and finally, listen with an open, uh, with a willing life. This is verse 22. Keep reading in James 1 and verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So after we've done our good listening with our receptive hearts, now what? James says, now you do it. We put into practice those things we have learned. Because after all, what good is listening that does not actually affect anything about our lives? James says, it's a bit like looking in a mirror, and we see in that mirror with perfect clarity a big smear of peanut butter on our cheek. But instead of doing anything about it, we go on our way, satisfied that we noticed something that was wrong, but we go on our way doing nothing about it, and we don't actually receive the benefit of looking in the mirror, and we go looking, looking like, a, like a dope the rest of the day with a big smear of peanut butter on our cheek. James's point is, hearers only get none of the blessings of God's word. They get none of the benefits. They, re- they remove none of the blemishes on their face. 
It is those who act based on what they have seen and what they have heard. It is those who act, who do, based on that, who will be blessed. Now, to be sure, you can't do without hearing first, but hearing always, good hearing always leads to good doing. So what's the truest mark of an effective sermon? Is it powerful delivery? Is it, you know, where the preacher yells and pounds on the pulpit? Sometimes that's what we think good preaching is. Is it the amount of funny stories he tells? Is it some people like a two-hour sermon, some people like a 20-minute sermon? Is it his flawless elocution? It's none of those things. The truest mark of an actually good sermon is the changed life. Again, don't you see, for good communication to happen, the hearer has as much responsibility as the speaker. The receiver is as important as the transmitter. What good is perfect diction Novel illustrations, clever outlines, powerful speaking, beautiful PowerPoints, if no one's lives are ever changed for the better. As one man put it, the Christian's life should put his minister's sermon in print. The Christian's life should put his minister's sermon in print. The ultimate goal is to learn what God has said, to take it into our hearts, and to live it out in our lives. Disciples are interested in growing and maturing in the Lord. We want to learn to serve God more effectively in every way possible. And so let me urge you to do it in this way. In the way you listen to a sermon with an open Bible, with an attentive mind, with receptive hearts, and with willing lives. And so maybe there's someone here this morning that has done some of this good listening. And if you have and realize There's some glaring fault in your life, something you need help with. Forgiveness you need to solicit God, help you need to solicit from God's people. If there is anything at all you need from God and his people, come forward now as we stand and sing.